Well, I want to say a word of thanks to all of you. Of course, I do want to say, first of all, um, we're all praying for our 24 people who are on the Mexico mission uh, tour. And we're looking looking forward to their reporting back into us. I know you've got them in your prayers. Praying for Pastor Scott, who um, is on a retreat this weekend, being trained as the president-elect for Rotary and the Sammamish Plateau. Uh, we've got a lot of people who are serving on mission today. And uh, we are grateful that Meadowbrook extends its reach uh, in so many different ways. But I want to say a personal word of thanks uh, from Marilyn and me for your uh, support of us this past week. Uh, many of you know that Marilyn's dad passed away. Um, Marilyn got to be there through the generosity of a doctor on my dad on her dad's 90th birthday, and and uh, to say goodbye to him at least until they meet again in heaven. And then through your incredible generosity, both Marilyn and I were able to go to Houston to be with the family to attend the service, and I just can't. Uh, we're overwhelmed. We also appreciated your prayers, deeply felt them. The entire family knew about the fact that you were praying for them. And I want to thank you for praying for me as I conducted the memorial service. And through it all, we, feel, uh, we felt supported, sustained, and felt that God was at work. So thank you so much. So we got back uh, Friday evening, and uh, I'm trying to sh- shift gears. And hopefully I'll remember the topic today rather than the topic a couple of days ago. Uh, We are going to be continuing today in Ephesians. That's been the journey that we've been on for the last few weeks. And so I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, the third chapter of Ephesians. That's kind of halfway through the New Testament. Or just look at the table of contents and join us by opening your Bible. And there are some some, uh, guest Bibles that you certainly can can have that, that are for you there over on the table. Um, we have arrived at a point in the journey where Paul has just completed one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, which is Ephesians chapter 2. He is about to pray one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible, which is Ephesians three fourteen through 21, that we'll be fo- focusing on next Sunday. But in root... Paul interrupts himself. And in the passage before us, he begins to talk about a mystery. Now, when the Bible talks about mystery, it's not talking about a whodunit or about something dark and unfathomable that you must figure out for yourself if you can. But in the Bible... A mystery refers to a significant reality, even an incredible reality, that can only be known if it is revealed to you. And the letter of Ephesians gives us this great news. God has taken action to do so. He has revealed to us the mystery of his will. And so the mystery is now an open secret that can be embraced by anyone 
And in so doing, it will alter our destinies and bring meaning to our lives. So we're going to look this morning at the meaning of the mystery. As it is described in Ephesians 3, when Paul interrupts himself before his great prayer, verses 1 through 13. Now, for us to understand the mystery, we all need to take the little personal pronoun I and park it for a while. And we need to embrace the collective pronoun we. Because we may discover that our greatest significance lies in being part of something that is larger than ourselves and our own preoccupations and concerns. Let's hear from Paul as he interrupts himself in the first 13 verses of Ephesians 3. For this reason, now what reason? Well, what Scott probably talked about last week in chapter 2 and uh, we'll get a, 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 a glimpse of it uh, later on in the message. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. Now, I don't know about briefly. Chapter 1 of Ephesians has two sentences. One of them is a 202-word uh, run-on sentence, and the second sentence is about that long. But from Paul's um, perspective, he has spoken briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, Paul says I'm the leastest of the least. This grace was given to me to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, what is the meaning of the mystery? The open secret revealed by God which can be embraced by anyone and will alter our destinies and bring meaning into our lives. Well, the mystery, as revealed in Ephesians 3, has some layers, and we're going to peel back those layers and climb the ladder of what they mean. And the first thing that is underscored in this passage is that whatever the mystery is, 
At its core, it is centered in Christ. It is the mystery of Christ. Chapter 1, Paul points us immediately to Christ as the center and the source of the mystery, the open secret that will change our lives. Chapter 3, he reiterates that. And then in Colossians, which is the companion letter to Ephesians, if you want to further, further understand and apply Ephesians, read Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes that this is the riches of the mystery which God has revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery centers in Christ. Now, who is this Christ who is the center of God's revealed will? Well, have you reflected on that lately? Worship music today helped us to do so. Let's look at and, and review some of the things that the scriptures say about who this Jesus really is. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, we are told, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. And in Him was life. And that life was the light of mankind. And then John 1 goes on to tell us about the great invasion perpetrated by Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, we read these words about Jesus. In the past, God has revealed himself to us in many and varied ways, but today, ultimately and finally, he has made himself known in his son, who is the heir of all things, through whom he made the world. His son is the express image of his being, the full shining forth of his glory. And he upholds our universe by the power of his word. Who is this Christ? By the way, Hebrews then goes on to talk about a great invasion perpetrated by Christ. Well, in Colossians 1, our companion letter to Ephesians, Colossians says that all things were created by him. For him and are sustained through him. We are told in Colossians 1 that all things are held together by Christ. Without Jesus, we have an omniverse. With Jesus, we have a universe. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 kind of picks that up. And it says that Christ, who is preeminent over all things... When all things are lined up under him, they find their meaning and purpose. Life begins to add up in Jesus. Now, those are just a few verses that capture something of the incomparable character of the majestic Christ. He is the magnificent one. And then they all begin to talk about this great invasion. And is also talked about in Ephesians chapter 2. That is the moment when Christ, who is sovereign over all things, leaves heaven and comes to earth. And here the mystery goes deeper. This God who can speak and the earth melts. This God who can nuke all his enemies and command all of us to worship him. This God who can wrap Jesus in a Superman's cape instead wraps him in a baby blanket and lays him in a manger. And he is born on the backside of the planet in the dead of night when only angels and astrologers and animal tenders take notice of his arrival. And he grows up in a very small town. He works in a carpenter's shop. 
He calls ordinary men to himself. He lives an incredible life. He speaks an incredible message. And then, incredibly, he goes to a cross. And he cries out from the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taking our place where we are judged for our sins and identifying personally with our own alienation and loneliness. And then he prays, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And finally, it is finished. That is to say, mission accomplished. And he bows his head and dies. But on the third day, he rises again. Why would the supreme ruler of the universe choose the way of the cross? The scriptures tell us because he knows what we need and he loves us enough to meet us there. This is the Christ who is the center of the mystery. And here is the mystery. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then the mystery unfolds further as we read in in uh, chapter three, verse six. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. In other words, the mystery God's revealed will is that God desires that all persons Whosoever will may come to faith through Jesus Christ and be reconciled to him. So God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, the people of God in the Old Testament separated the whole world into two categories. The Jews, who were God's chosen people, and everybody else, the Gentiles, who were not and never could be as Gentiles. The mystery is that God so loves us all that he eradicates all classes and categories of people and the ground is level at the foot of the cross and whosoever will may come through Christ. And now the mystery goes deeper. And this is the part in Ephesians chapter 3 that Paul says in verses 5 and 9 that this wasn't revealed Back there, but it is revealed today. In other words, everything we said to this point, God revealed in the Old Testament that Jesus would come and that would suffer on a cross to purchase our salvation, our reconciliation to God. The Old Testament prophesies that sometimes very graphically, such as in the 22nd Psalm and the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, the fact that Gentiles as well as Jews could be reconciled to God and become part of his family. That also is prophesied or is stated throughout the Old Testament. But here's a new twist. Ephesians 3 says that God takes this, this, this disparate groupings of people, the religious and the irreligious, the Jews and the Gentiles, those like me and those not like me, and through Christ he forms us into a new Multicultural, international, redeemed community of Christ followers called the church. The society without walls, 
where every person through Christ has equal standing and status before God. And this church is a community of redeemed, reconciled and reconciling persons. We are made right with God and we are made right with one another through Jesus. The church is a society without walls. It is the creation of God. And it bears witness to our world of the glory of God. In the uh, first century world, the first church outside Jerusalem was a church at the city of Antioch, which was in Syria. Antioch was one of the largest cities in the ancient world. It was a very cosmopolitan city. And the four great people groups of the first century world all were well represented in Antioch. But they did not mingle. They had nothing to do with one another. They lived in separate ghettos. And literally there were walls around their neighborhoods that kept them in and kept everybody not like them out. And in that city, when when Christ came calling and seized the hearts of many persons, all of those people groups are represented well in the church at Antioch. If you read its roll call of membership in chapters 11 through 13. And all of those people groups are represented not only in the membership, but in the leadership of the church. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus. It makes us friends with God despite our rebellion against him. And it removes our alienation from one another. We can be reconciled to one another in Christ. And this leads to the summation of the mystery, the mystery of God's revealed plan. His open secret is uh, capsulized in verse 10. This is the capstone of it all. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, to get this, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is Paul saying here? What is the mystery that has been revealed? This multicultural, international community, this society without walls, when the church lives in unity, when we love one another and we pursue the ministry of reconciliation, then we bear witness to the manifold wisdom of God, to the unseen powers in the heavenly realms. Now, what is that? The heavenly realms is that realm of existence where Jesus reigns supreme and where what God wants done gets done. We usually think of the heavenly realms as somewhere way up there geographically beyond our spaceships and our telescopes. But the truth be told, the Bible reveals that the heavenly realms are nearer than we think, closer than we can imagine. And there are angels who worship God and do his bidding there. And there are unseen forces in rebellion against God, though already doomed. God delays their punishment so that we can come to faith. Both right now are watching the church. And when the church lives in love. And pursues the ministry of reconciliation. God's wisdom, his many faceted wisdom, Ephesians 3 says, is revealed. 
and his glory resounds throughout all creation. When is God most glorified? When his people, the church, love one another and love their world. Let me give you one glimpse of how this works in real history. In November of 1940, Hitler's evil empire had steamrolled its way across Europe with its blitzkrieg or its lightning war. And and the only thing that stood between Hitler's total domination of Europe was Great Britain. And so Hitler launched a campaign with his Luftwaffe, a massive aerial assault on England. And one of the very first targets was the city of Coventry because there was a large munitions factory there. And the aerial assault was devastating. And the great cathedral of Coventry, a historic facility, was destroyed almost utterly. After the war, the churches in the region around Coventry decided they would seek to rebuild the great cathedral, which is a decades-long endeavor at best. And so as they worshipped together, they studied together, they prayed together, they fellowshiped together, they came to the conviction that God doesn't just want a new cathedral. He wants a new people. And they knew in their hearts that they had to reconcile themselves to God and they had to be reconciled to one another and they had to forgive their enemies, which in this case was Germany that had bombed them into almost oblivion and destroyed many of their friends and family. And so they did amazing thing. They took the nails from the old bombed out cathedral. And they fashioned tiny crosses, sent them to Germany and around the world with a call to pray for reconciliation, reconciliation to God and reconciliation to one another under the cross of Jesus Christ. And for 60 years, the Cross of Nails movement to this very day, in pockets of this strife-torn world where we know we simply cannot get along with one another, pick up the newspaper or get online and read it this week, they became symbols of working and praying for reconciliation to one another through the Cross of Christ. Coventry Cathedral was completed in 1962. It will observe its 50th anniversary very soon. It continues to stand before the world and before the unseen powers in the heavenly world as a representative of the wisdom of God, reflecting His glory. It's as if when we are reconcilers and reconciled persons... That God can say, look at my church. Isn't my plan wise and wonderful? I can redeem a sinful people who don't deserve it through Christ. I can call out a new community of those redeemed people and they can do miracle of miracles. Reconciliation with me and among one another. 
And when we do that, God is glorified. His glory resounds throughout the world, even to the unseen world. So how do we do that? How do we live as a reconciled, reconciling people? Well, we begin with Christ. We ask some hard questions. Am I captured and captivated by Jesus? Is he not only my Savior, but my reigning Lord? Is Jesus the ruling Lord over Meadowbrook? Am I here and now abiding in Christ? Every day, do I approach the Scriptures as a meeting with God, in a prayer of surrender to Him, and throughout the day, do I intentionally choose to turn my thoughts once more to Him? We begin with Christ. And then we take seriously the integrity of church membership. And the importance of living in face-to-face community with one another. Now, this is totally counterintuitive to our culture, right? I mean, this is the age of rugged individualism. And we practice the supremacy of the autonomy of self. America is the land of the imperial self, right? And so we do church that way so often. We make individual, private Commitments to Christ with no real thought of the fact that we are called into life-changing community. And we do church based on personal preferences. And yet Ephesians says that we are to seek to live in committed relationships with Christ and with one another in Christ. We are to commit in unlimited liability To a faith community where we are there until God literally calls us away and we commit to one another that we may continue to be ministers of reconciliation to God and to one another in God. And then thirdly, we embrace our calling to bear witness to Christ in the relational traffic patterns of our everyday world. Bolstered by our Christ community, we understand that we go into our week-long relationships as representatives of Christ. In the marketplace, in the workplace, I do that through deed and word. I approach the assignment before me as if I am doing it to God. I see others through Christ and seek to express His love to them. I seek to share a word of witness for Christ courageously but also courteously, lovingly, and with sensitivity. And I am bolstered by my church and my face-to-face community. So two important questions for each one of us this morning. Who is my support community who helps me stay focused on Christ? And who is my mission field? One mentor of mine through writing is a, is a guy named Richard Halverson. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Richard Halverson, but for many years, in recent times, he was the chaplain of the United States Senate until he died only a short while ago. And before that, Richard Halverson pastored a church in Washington, D.C. Halverson was a popular speaker, so he was always traveling. 
And he found himself frequently flying back to the capital city. And he would always, as the, as the plane approached and descended and made its way across the Washington landscape, he would look for his church. Church had a very impressive campus. He could usually spot it quite quickly. But on one of his trips back, he couldn't find his church. Either the mists were surrounding it or maybe it was an unfamiliar approach. And he was a little bit bummed until he had what he considered to be a, a, an idea from God. He looked below him at the neighborhoods, the office buildings, the factories, the schools, the places of socialization and recreation. He, he began to think, well, so-and-so from my church is in that neighborhood, and so-and-so works in that office building, and so-and-so attends that school. And he began to understand that he was seeing his church. Right where they were, in the traffic patterns of life, living out their calling to be ministers of reconciliation for Christ. Who is your support community? Who is your mission field? So this morning, as Scott Brewer likes to ask, will you? Will you embrace Jesus? As the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life, God so loved you that he died for you. That if you will, you may not perish, but have everlasting life through faith in Christ. As God committed himself to you, would you commit yourself to Christ this morning? And will you? Will you commit yourself in unlimited liability to this church? Or determine to find the one to which God will lead you to invest your life. Will you seek involvement in a face-to-face community? We call them share groups around here. You can go to the table in the foyer and there are little call, uh, business cards with all our share group leaders' uh, names and numbers and email addresses on there. And get in touch and get connected. And will you? Will you embrace the call to be a marketplace missionary? To bear witness to your faith in the primary traffic patterns of your life? Who is your mission field? Now, when our church, when our church lives in love for one another, And pursues the ministry of reconciliation in our relational world. The wisdom of God is revealed. And the glory of God resounds throughout His creation. And there is no higher purpose than that. May we come to pray together for a moment. We're going to get ready for, first of all, the offering. And then we're getting ready to have... Can continue to lead us however he is impressed in worship. But in this offering, we get to worship God through giving as Meadowbrookers. It's also the time when you can turn in that little connection card that uh, Dave had you tear off a few minutes earlier. You can share your prayer request. You can register next step commitments. You can ask for information in meeting. Use that wisely and well and express To God, what he is prompting you to do as a result of worshiping today.
And our ushers will pass the the little baskets and we invite you to turn those in. Now, Father, help us to use this time well. We are so grateful for your awesome love and your tremendous plan for us. We thank you that you reveal the mystery and that it's wrapped up in Christ. Lord, we, we want to embrace community today and understand that there are eternal things that are at stake that we would commit to your church and display the love for one another that is possible through Christ. We pray that you will be glorified in our decisions this very day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.